Here's how God describes himself. I am the one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. God says, you want to know what I'm like? Here's what I'm like. I am a forgiver. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is there a specific way that you're meant to ask God for forgiveness? When should a believer be concerned about ongoing sin? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 10 of Lord Teach Us to Pray, exploring what Jesus had to say about how his followers are to approach God in prayer. To pray, forgive us our debts, means that the believer acknowledges the reality of their debt, meaning sin, and that they understand the nature of forgiveness and the conditions for forgiveness. And as you'll discover today, there truly are conditions for gaining God's forgiveness. Do you meet those conditions? Let's join our teacher for more now on The Word Unleashed. There are professing Christians who don't think that we as Christians should pray this prayer. The reasons that people give fall into two categories. Some believe that you can attain spiritual perfection in this life, so you don't need to pray this prayer. We all know both theologically, biblically, and practically that that's ridiculous. But there are others who say you shouldn't pray this prayer to ask forgiveness for your sins because you've already been justified, and in justification you have received Forgiveness for all your sins. And yet, Jesus here commands His disciples and all of those who can legitimately call God Father to pray this petition. This is a pattern for all of us who already know God through His Son to pray. Jesus says, pray, Father, forgive our debts. Now what exactly then are we asking God to do in this prayer? Literally, the Greek word for forgive means to send away or to let go of a debt, not to demand that the person repay the debt, to remit or to forgive. The opposite of forgive, by the way, in this context, is shown to us in John chapter 20, verse 23. There John says, the opposite of forgive is to retain, to hold on to. So we are praying, God, don't hold on to this debt I've accumulated with you. Instead, let them go. Send them away. Forgive. Do not demand payment. Now, if you're a thinking Christian, and I hope you are, you're saying, wait a minute. I thought that's what happened to me at the moment of my salvation. That all of my sins, past, present, and future, were pardoned by God. So why do I as a Christian still need to ask for forgiveness? Doesn't Colossians 2.13 say that He's forgiven us all our transgressions? Why does a sinner who has been totally forgiven, who has been declared forever righteous before God, still need to ask for daily forgiveness? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, our Lord answers it in John 13. Turn there with me. John 13. It's a very familiar story, beginning in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper. This is, of course, the Last Supper and the upper room. John thirteen four, And He laid aside His garments, and taking a towel, He girded Himself. 
Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he's going around the table, washing, literally washing all the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter. You've got to love Peter. Peter says, Lord, really? You're going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. He's essentially saying, Peter, look, there's a spiritual point I'm going to make. You're going to understand it. Just play along here. Peter, well-intentioned, thinks this is completely inappropriate for his Lord, his Master, God Himself, to wash his feet. And so he says to him, verse 8, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, look, I'm teaching you a spiritual lesson, and if I don't wash your feet, then in the lesson I'm teaching, it'll show that you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. By the way, the word you here is plural. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking not just to Peter, but to all of the disciples. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Now, what's going on here? Jesus is teaching his disciples two lessons. The first lesson is an example of humility and service. You see this in verses 12 through 16. He essentially says to them, you call me Lord, I have done menial service to you. You need to be willing to do menial service to one another. But that wasn't the only lesson Jesus was teaching here. He was also teaching a lesson in spiritual cleansing. Look again at verse 10. Jesus said to Peter, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. He's already completely clean. And all of you disciples are clean. Well, except Judas. But the rest of you are clean. Now what's going on here? Jesus is teaching us about spiritual cleansing. And He's saying, at the moment of salvation, you had a spiritual bath. That's your justification. You were completely clean. You don't ever need another spiritual bath. You don't ever need to go back and get justified again. But we need our feet to be clean because as we walk through this world, we do sin. That's the daily confession of sin and the seeking of God's forgiveness. You see, at the moment of salvation, your relationship to God completely changed. You went from being a rebel against your rightful king to being his adopted son or daughter. In salvation, picture it this way. Picture two different rooms. Picture a courtroom and a private home. In salvation, you went into the courtroom before God as your king and your judge. You stood before Him as a guilty criminal saying, God, forgive me for my crimes against your righteous laws. In justification, the judge sitting on His throne declared you forgiven of sin and completely righteous before the law. That's justification. That happened at the moment of your salvation. What happened then was the judge came out from behind his bench, put his arm around you, and adopted you into his family. You left the courtroom never to go back in the courtroom of God's justice again. That's why Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're never going to be condemned in God's courtroom again because you were declared justified. You were bathed. 
but you left the courtroom with the one who was once your judge and is now your father, and you came into a private home, the father's home, where you now live as his child. And when you sin day by day, you don't need to go back with the judge to the courtroom and be justified again. That's forever settled. But you need as the son of your father, as the daughter of your father, to say, Father, forgive me, I've sinned against you. I violated this wonderful relationship. You've adopted me and I've sinned against you as my father. You see, toward us, God is no longer an offended, angry judge, but a loving, gracious father. Here's what I love. Either way, if you will come to God on his terms, are you ready for this? This is amazing. He will be quick to forgive. Now, I didn't make that up. This is how God describes himself. By time, I take you back to Exodus chapter 34, where Moses says, God, proclaim your name to me. Tell me what you're like. And God does. And it's wonderful. In Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord passed by in front of Moses, and this is what he proclaimed. He says, here's what I am. I am. I am God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness who keeps steadfast love for thousands, not meaning thousands of people, but probably thousands of generations. And I love this. Here's how God describes Himself. I am the one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. God says, you want to know what I'm like? Here's what I'm like. I am a forgiver. Just in case you're tempted to play around with God's forgiveness and to take it for granted and not to be serious about dealing with sin in your life, He adds, yet I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So don't think God's quickness to forgive means He plays around lightly with sin. But He's a forgiver. I love Psalm 86.5. I find myself rehearsing this in my own mind several times a week. Psalm 86.5 says, You, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in steadfast love to all who call upon you. This is who God is. He's ready to forgive. He's eager to forgive. Because this is His nature. Psalm 32.5, David says, I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Oh, by the way, murder and adultery. Psalm 130, verse 4, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find God's compassion. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. I like the way Micah puts it in his prophecy. The end of Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of His possession? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities under His feet. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I love in the new covenant that we're all participating in as believers. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, we're told that new covenant promise 
says, I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is who God is. Now the question is, how can a righteous God send away the guilt of sinners? How can he cancel the debt we have accumulated against him? And there's only one answer from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, and that is by someone else paying it in our place. You understand God couldn't just wave his hand and say, debt forgiven, because that would be a violation of his character, of his holiness, and of his justice. Somebody had to pay, either you for all eternity or Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what God did. Isaiah 53, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to strike him, literally the Hebrew says. When you and I come to God asking for his forgiveness, we are approaching our own father and we are asking him to forgive our debts against us. We're asking him to restore not our relationship to him, he's still our father, but we're asking him to maintain our fellowship with him in spite of the fact that we sin against him and to do so solely because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus is commanding us here to do this as often as we pray on a daily basis. That's the nature of the forgiveness in Matthew 6.12. It's not the bath that we got in justification. That's only once. But it's the washing of our feet as we walk through this world. To pray, forgive us our debts, means that we acknowledge the reality of our sins, that we understand the nature of forgiveness, and thirdly, we must meet the conditions for forgiveness. There are conditions for gaining God's forgiveness. The first one is here in this text, and that's we must forgive others, the forgiveness of others. Notice again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, that is, those who have sinned against us. Now, it's crucial that you understand what this does not mean. This does not mean that you earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Forgiveness cannot be earned. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, we have the forgiveness of sins in him according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness is always and only from grace, God's goodness to those who deserve exactly the opposite. You will never earn God's forgiveness. But God has placed conditions before he will bestow the grace of forgiveness. What does he mean here? Turn over to Mark chapter 11, because I think our Lord explains himself in Mark 11, verse 25. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. In other words, he makes it clear here that forgiveness doesn't Our forgiveness of others doesn't earn forgiveness from God. Instead, it is a condition that must be met before God forgives us. Now, what is is Jesus saying? Leon Morris explains it this way. He says, we have no right to seek forgiveness for our own sins if we are withholding forgiveness from others. 
In fact, this issue is so important to Christ that it's the only part of the Lord's Prayer he comes back to after he finishes teaching us the Lord's Prayer. We'll get there in a few weeks. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That is a frightening statement. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, if you are harboring bitterness and anger and unwillingness to forgive someone in your life, then don't you for for a moment imagine that God is hearing you and forgiving you. You're not forgiving others. God has not been forgiving you. That's the bottom line. Luke 11.4 has a slightly different construction of this condition. Here's how Jesus put it a few months later. He said, pray this way, forgive us our sins. For present tense, we are forgiving our debtors. In other words, Lord, this is our pattern. This is our practice. This is our habit to forgive those who sin against us. Let it sink into your mind that if you are not forgiving, if if there's someone as you sit here this morning that you are more than aware you have not forgiven them, then God says, Jesus says, don't expect God to forgive you. It's not happening. There's a second condition that's implied here, but is commanded throughout the Scripture, and that is repentance and confession toward God. Scripture is clear that without repentance and confession, forgiveness is impossible. Psalm 32.5, I acknowledged my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and then you forgave the guilt of my sin after confession. Proverbs 18.13, I quoted a moment ago, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Now, let me just clarify, that doesn't mean that if you're really repentant, you will never, ever commit that sin again. That's not what the scriptures indicate. We tend to struggle with the same sins in our lives although there ought to be a decreasing pattern of sin in our lives and an increasing pattern of righteousness. What is commanded of us here is a heart that says, God, I am confessing this sin to you, and I'm not playing mind games with you. I hate this sin, and I would rather never commit this sin against you again. That's what it means to confess and forsake. It's a, it's a willingness to turn from your sin and pursue righteousness. On the other hand, if when you're praying, you have in the back of your mind You know, I'm asking God's forgiveness because I'm commanded to do this and I don't want him angry with me, but I'm looking forward to the next time I commit this sin. Then don't you for a moment believe God's forgiving that sin. There has to be a willingness to turn from that sin. And God knows your heart. He's not going to play those mind games with you. Don't deceive yourself or try to deceive him. If you're here this morning and you stand in the courtroom of God's justice still, you have never really sought his forgiveness and you have a lifetime of debt that you have accumulated before him. And maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit has made you painfully aware of that. Here's the really good news. God will respond to you in the same way with forgiveness. Isaiah 55. Read Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Some of my favorite verses in Scripture. God says, listen, let the wicked man forsake his way. That is, his, his predictable patterns of behavior. Let him have a willingness to turn from his sin. And the unrighteous, his thoughts, how he thinks, and return to the Lord, 
For he will have compassion and he will abundantly pardon. That's how God will respond to you. If you're willing to turn from your sin this morning and through Christ have the forgiveness God offers, he's not going to hold you at arm's length. He will abundantly pardon you. Now, for those of us who are believers, I want to finish the most famous text on confession. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. I want to finish here because there are some very practical directives about how we're to confess our sins here in this verse. Let me give, you, give them to you. Really, just jot them down. Think about them. I'm not going to expand on them. But just be aware of how we ought to confess our sin. First of all, notice we're to accept full responsibility for our sin. If we confess our sin. That word confess is the Greek word homo legeo. You recognize, you recognize the first part of that, homo, same. We say the same thing about our sin that God would say. In other words, you take full responsibility. You don't minimize, you don't excuse it. You say, God, it's sin. I'm fully responsible. No one else is responsible. It's because of who I am by birth and the choices I've made throughout my life. I am simply doing what I am. I am simply displaying the person that I am. You take full responsibility. Notice you confess, secondly, specific sins. If we confess our sins... Now, that doesn't mean you have to confess every sin. You don't even know every sin you commit, nor do I. And you can confess sin as a principle in your life as well. But when there are specific sins that you are convicted about, that you're feeling the weight of, you confess those specific sins. Thirdly, you plead the character of God. Notice if we confess our sins, He is faithful. You see, God has made promises, I just recited them, to forgive your sin. You plead his character. I I often find myself saying, God, here I am again. I I need your forgiveness yet again. It seems like I spend my, my life doing this, and I do. Please forgive me because you've made promise. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve for you to hear me again, but you've made promises, and and you're faithful to your promises. I know you'll keep your promise. Plead his character. Number four, always remember that Christ and the cross earned your forgiveness. Notice that little word, righteous. He is faithful and righteous. How can God be righteous and cancel your sin? Because he vindicated his righteousness in punishing Jesus for your sin. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. He made him to be the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath. He vindicated his righteousness, it says, at the cross. So remember, when you're asking God for forgiveness, the only reason you have any hope to expect that forgiveness is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Number five. Always expect complete forgiveness. Notice, he promises if we confess our sins, if if there's a repentant heart, a willingness to leave our sin and to confess our sins to him, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are probably two sides of the same coin. Forgive us the debt we've accumulated against him. And the other expression pictures sin as, as if I'd stained my soul And he cleanses us from that stain. Don't you love the images Scripture gives of God's forgiveness? Philip Ryken writes this, God the Father offers forgiveness as a free gift of his grace. 
When you go to him, weighed down with the debt of all your guilt and sin, I love this, he will not sit down with you to work out a payment plan. He will not scheme to charge you more interest. He will not send you to purgatory or anywhere else to work off your own debts. On the contrary, God is a loving Father who offers forgiveness full and free. Jesus says, make this a daily part of your prayer. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 10 of Lord Teach Us to Pray. Join us again next time for part 11. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.